All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for always giving us truth, Father. Thank you for making it so available to us. Thank you for giving us the good health and the ability to read it, to hear it, to see it even in action uh, in our lives as well as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, what an encouraging thing it is that you've done for us. Father, we pray for those that are here with us in spirit this morning but can't be here for other reasons that you encourage them from afar with this message and that they know that we love them and we long to have them back into the fold. Father, we pray also for those that are still lost, destined for an eternity in the lake of fire, Father. May that be changed before it's too late. May they be humbled and receive saving faith. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this of rejoicing a reality for each one of us. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence. Over the past few weeks of messages, the Spirit's been tying together two things, really. Uh, and I think this is the end game of the series, honestly. Our confidence in the Lord with our obedience. Our confidence tied directly to our obedience. And if you string what the Spirit's been saying together uh, between those two words, there's sanctification, because obedience is the fundamental tenet of sanctification. And then once you're sanctified, you receive blessings such as confidence. And that's been the string of pearls that he's been sort of weaving together to our benefit, and it's been fantastic. I've been praying that you all have been receiving the full force of these messages, taking them home with you, and as many have uh, intimated with me, re-listening whenever possible, whenever, whenever appropriate. It may not be that you listen to every lesson again, but if you need to, just do it. Set aside an hour and do it. And I guarantee you, you will hear something you don't even remember me saying. I, lis I could listen to this message as soon as I get home, and I'll say, I don't remember saying that. And I'm the guy teaching it. So if that's me, what say of you? So I hope you're taking them home with you, re-listening whenever possible or appropriate, and letting it all sink in in humility. That's my prayer. I was thinking about that. Um, there's just so many obstacles and so many distractions in life. And here in my notes I have, life happens, right? Life happens. We're going to leave here this morning, and life's going to just continue to happen. And it's just wrought with challenges and obstacles and distractions and, you know, life. And it's not always easy. 
Is that fair? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? It's not always easy. We'd like to be able to portray, um, you know, this idea that because we're learning the Word of God, because we're saved, that, you know, it's all dimples and rose petals and, 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 stuff and such, but it's not. We are warriors, and we're being trained up to fight, fight the good fight. And fighting is nasty. And our opponent, there are no rules. They will gouge your eyes out. They will kick you in places that hurt. <laughs> the temple, that's what I was thinking. I don't know about you sick people. Right? They don't have any scruples. Our enemies don't care. They don't sleep even. So life isn't always easy, especially when we've all been called to live in a sea, a sea of worldly lies and a boatload of liars propagating those lies. It can often seem like our entire experience looks like that, right? Swimming upstream. We are really swimming against the grain. Especially, it's not like we're in the Bible Belt. We're in, literally, the triangle. Remember that? It, we are the lowest population of Bible readers in the country, in this little triangle. I think I forget it was like somewhere around Boston, New Bedford, and some other, I forget where else. But literally, we're in the middle of that triangle. So we live in, a, God placed each one of us here for a reason, and we're in the middle of arguably the most antagonistic area in the entire country to the truth. So do you ever feel like that? I do. I really do. But you know what? If you're a real fighter, would you have it any other way? No. Not really. I'd rather, I'd rather be in a fight than coasting somewhere. It's just the way that I'm personally built. It's not that I'm like that. It's not like I go picking fights. But to me, um, that's where, if that's where the, the, the real action is, that's where he built us to be. Like it or lump it. We are inundated with people who aren't shy about boasting in their fleshes. And if we're weak, and this is the point the first point here, and it's going to stretch throughout this message. The Spirit had me focusing on this, and he's saying, come focus with this man. If we're weak, when these individuals are boasting in their fleshes, if we're weak, it can often get the best of our own fleshes, inciting our own fleshes to join the fray of competition. For example, men... We're encouraged from an early age to compete for work, for dominance in things like sports or power, etc. That's what men are encouraged to do very early on. Women, likewise, are encouraged early on to compete on things like, even superficial things like beauty and praise and control, uh, and a whole host of other things. But we're encouraged from an early age, regardless of gender, to join the fray, to jump in. 
And let's face it, left alone in a church like this one that has no real tolerance for such destructive behavior, I mean, if we all, if we all don't do this, but if we all camped out in here for the rest of our lives, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Life, all these things that I'm talking about, it would be a lot simpler because we're of the same mind. We're organizing our thinking around the mind of Christ. These things wouldn't be as prevalent. They wouldn't be mainstream. But out there, it's an entirely different story. Out there, life happens, and it's not easy. We are lured and seduced into competing with our neighbors. Why do you think the old saying even exists, keeping up with the Joneses? Why do you think that even exists? Because that's a, real, that's a very real thing, keeping up with the Joneses. If you take the bait from the people of this lost world, you suffer for it. And that's been a lot of what the Spirit's been saying. And this is a friendly reminder. I've taught this several times in the past, but just a friendly reminder. On competition, when the flesh is involved, when the flesh is involved, if you so-called win, you become puffed up and arrogant. If you lose, you become downtrodden and depressed. Okay, the reality, you lose in both cases. You don't win. If you compete with the flesh against flesh, you lose, period. Doesn't matter how you stack up, you lose. So what does that say to you? Don't play that game because it's a loser's game. It's like, you know, heads you win, tails I lose type thing, right? It's that. So here's some sound advice from Jesus' own brother, James. Go to James 1, verse 9. James 1, verse 9. This is the encouragement coming from the pulpit. Stop playing this game. Don't be distracted. Don't be lured into it, seduced into it. It's so easy, especially when you're weak. And I'm going to talk about what it means to be weak in a moment. Because there's more to that definition than meets the eye. James 1, verse 9. <clears throat> let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. Up here on the board, that's James' way of saying this up here on the board. God is not a respecter of persons. It's, there's no stratification that way. In other words, avoid that thing. You understand? Avoid getting sucked into the, the game that the Joneses are playing. Whether they're on top of the heap or they're miserable and you can see it because they're losing. Avoid that entire game. Cleave it out like Jesus said. Cut it off. If your eye keeps, you know, like looking at the Joneses, cut it out. That's what Jesus said. If, if you have a wandering eye and you can't help yourself and you're like, oh, but I so, I want to compete. I'm going to win. I can win this battle. And then I can go back to church. He said, cut it out. God is not a respecter of persons. If you, if you win, God doesn't care. God, God's saying, you just wasted my time and yours. 
James 1.11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. But when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I think most of us think of trials as primarily those attacks that assault our areas of weakness. Most of us think of trials that way. We say, well, I'm weak in that area and I just keep getting assaulted and, you know, the devil has no scruples, so he just makes sure that he gets me when I'm in that area of weakness. But I'll share my personal conviction, and I believe this to be biblically supported. And if you haven't ever read um, Covert Arrogance, the book I wrote years ago now, read it, because it's along the same lines. It's not what you think. That's the whole point. We have to get our definitions right when it comes to strength and weakness, because we can get tripped up. So I'll share my personal conviction. Most Christians define weakness by world standards. Even educated Christians that I know, they still carry around wrong definitions. Most Christians define weakness by world standards, which is why they remain confused and even stunted in their spiritual growth. Most Christians I know adopt the world's definition for weakness like oh, I'm not that good at my job, or, I don't know, public speaking, or I can't, you know, I can't read that well, you name it. Some area that the world says, oh, that's obviously a weakness. The reality is that the most damaging attacks are on our so-called areas of strength. And this is the insidiousness of sin. This is why we spent 70-something parts on that, if you remember. That's the insidiousness of sin and how, it, how the kingdom of darkness uses this era, this fundamental era of having our definitions perverted to gain entry into our lives. The reality is, again, that the most damaging attacks are on our so-called areas of strength. Case in point, suppose you are lured into competition with the Joneses and you happen to make decent money. I don't know. When you win by outdoing your neighbors, you've actually lost in God's eyes. When you win that competition, that ungodly competition, you've actually lost in God's eyes. And when you lose, what is that? That was a truck? Wow. When you lose in God's eyes, guess what? You were weak. In God's eyes, when you lose, you weren't strong. You, you were weak. That's what weakness looks like. You mean, wait a minute. So I show up with an area of strength and I lose? Yeah, that's what weakness looks like. I would argue that most Christians have those definitions wrong. 
They'll say stupid stuff like, oh, well, you know, I won, therefore it was a blessing from God. God wanted me to have more than the Joneses because God loves me more than the Joneses because I'm saved and I'm one of his favorites. And I'm such a good little doobie that he keeps blessing me out with more and more money to beat the Joneses. And I'm such a sick head, but he knows me. You know, he knows me. He knows that I need this. I need this win. So he's going to keep blessing me out so I can beat the Joneses. And I'm going to call that a blessing. What do you think of that? That's a great loss in, the, in this kingdom. That's a great loss. It's a terrible loss. To say something is a win when it's a loss. How great is the darkness when they think they're in the light? Remember all that? When you lose in God's eyes, you're weak. This is the subtlety that the Spirit's opening up with this morning. Again, look at James 1.12. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. I just described the type of trial to you. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So in other words, you might not win the game with the Joneses, but you get a much greater blessing. And in this case, it's called out as the crown of life. See? Up here on the board. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. One of our greatest tests is remaining humble, keeping the flesh from dominating us, in other words, keeping that thing down. One of our greatest tests is remaining humble when a direct, indirect contact with fleshly people who entice us into Satan's economy, where creature credit is the currency. That's one of our great tests. And I don't know about you, but most people I know, I'm kind of different this way, but it doesn't matter. Most people I know enter competition when they feel like they have a shot to win. Fair? So if you have an area of strength and the Joneses have an area of similar strength, uh-oh, I think I can win. You get sucked into that competition. And what does your flesh want to do? Teshuka. It wants to dominate everything. It doesn't want to just dominate you. It wants to dominate everything because it's all about creature credit. That's the currency of Satan's economy. I have to win here. And then you get really perverted, like some churches even teach. Well, God loves you so much, he's going to bless you out so that you can win that ridiculous competition. And then, you're so perverted, you're going to turn around and tell everyone how much God loves you and how much he blessed you out. Like, look at this. This is my trophy case. I beat the Joneses again. Why? God loves me. God loves me. You failed. <laughs> That's the failure right there. You failed the moment you got into that competition in the first place. You failed the moment your eyes were diverted away from Christ to something from the world, something gross. That whole thing is gross, right? It's ugly. It's gross. What does the Bible say? Blesses the man who remains steadfast under trial. This was your trial. 
You didn't remain steadfast. You, went, you didn't stay put with your eyes on Christ. You didn't, you didn't pray for them. You jumped into the fray. You didn't pray for their deliverance. You joined them in their folly. Why? Because you had an area of strength that you thought you could dominate with. Satan's no dummy, my friends. He knows what we're, what we're made of. He knows all our real weaknesses. We don't even get involved in that if we think we're just, there's no chance, right? Right? Fair enough. There you go. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. What James is writing is that to the one who perseveres goes the spoils of blessings. To the one who's able to sit there, and I'm just using the Joneses example because people in America really can relate to that. The one who sits still, the one who says, I'm going to keep my focus where it needs to be, that's the person who remains steadfast. That's the person who passed the test. To the spoils goes that person. That's the one that God blesses. And in this case, in context of Holy Scripture, it's the crown of life that's in view. The point is that we are blessed when we persevere under trial. You might be asking, well, what does you know, that trial look like? Is it only tough times or there, are there other types of trials? You know, tough times being when, I'm, when I consider myself weak by even world's definitions. Is that? The answer is both. That's the point. In fact, as the Spirit just pointed out, we are guilty of both failing under the pressure of hard times and under the pressure of good times. We fail in both situations. The encouragement here is that the more we learn from the Word of God, the clearer we see the nature and trappings of the world around us. That's the whole idea. Like Ephesians 5, to see it all as truth, you know? To just, just I just want to know the truth. If I end up on the, the rear end of this thing, so be it. If I've still got a long way to go, so be it. Just tell me the truth, right? And God doesn't deal with the superficial. He deals with your heart. So for those of you who are being humble right now, he's talking deeply to you. And he's saying, I want you to see what the reality is about you. Not what you come here showing the rest of the game on a Sunday morning. Not what you've been able to, to uh, exhibit or, 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 or show outward. What's going on on the inside? What's your attitude? What's your motivation? You know, like really, what are your strengths and weaknesses? And how does the kingdom of darkness uh, exploit them? That's what he's talking about. Right? For me, I, I live in a cave a lot of times, you know, maybe not so much nowadays, but for the most part, I still consider myself, my, my personal life, I'm kind of in a cave. Like, I, when I go out, my, I got my horse blinders on, right? To match my teeth, right? I got my horse blinders on, and I just kind of, I, I can't take it so much. Why? Because this is what I see when I go out, especially in America. I see... I chose this picture. Let me put it this. I chose this picture on purpose because by world standards, it's a dichotomy, isn't it? It's, it's a dichotomy. Successful-looking men in suit and tie, you know, the, the, the strong men, 
in our society with chains around their ankles like slaves. That's the dichotomy. The ones who are most, and I'm not saying you can't wear a suit and tie, so don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a representation, right? The Bible talks about that. Woe to the rich, you know, that whole thing. So the ones that are ratcheted into the world system, the ones who are most highly esteemed, we see that in Scripture too. Be careful if you're really highly esteemed. Something's probably wrong. The Bible says that. So the ones that are really highly esteemed, they're in chains. They're in chains. Like slaves. That's what I see in this world. And I've seen many Christians even raise their hand and actually compete for a place in the chain gang. Like, make it their life's work to join that thing. I'm in. I want in. I want a nice suit and tie. I want a nice look. I want, a, I want the Joneses to look at me and envy me. I want to be that guy. I want to be that lady that everybody looks to. I want to be that person. Well, to whatever degree you buy that thing, buy into that thing, you're wearing one of those chains. You're in shackles to something ungodly. Ask yourselves, when's the last time you fought tooth and nail for something you thought or at least hoped was a blessing only to find out it was a trap? I can't even tell you how many times I've done that in my life. Can't even, I can't even tell you how many times I've done that in my life. I tried to, you guys remember this, I tried to move to South Carolina. I was like, I'm going to buy a condo. I bought land. I was good. No. I literally lost my shirt. What was the lesson? You don't know. I need you up here. You're not going to try to architect something. I don't care if you bought this thing. I don't care if you were able to buy these things. You, that's not what I want for you. That was a trap. You lose. You lose. Some of you that own a business might say, yep, I fought for that account because the payout was so big. But in retrospect, all it did was take me away from Bible class. Or someone else might say, I fought hard for that promotion at work. And now I'm more exhausted than ever. And my prayer life has suffered. Or maybe you're the one who's honestly said, it's not all bad, hey, you know what, I actually passed the test. Woohoo! It happens, right? I didn't take the bait. Instead, I listened to the Spirit and did what brought glory to God in heaven. And for that, I'm blessed. That might be you. But in America, it seems rare. In America, most people chomping at the bit to join that thing. They lost. But it's this last person, the one who overcame, the one who was steadfast, the one who didn't divert, the one who didn't move. It's this last person that is most encouraged because they've seen the proof of their faith work directly in their favor, just like the Holy, Holy Bible said it would. Imagine that. Go to 1 Peter 1.6. 
1 Peter 1.6. Imagine that. God's not a liar. God's not a God of confusion, but of peace with the saints. Imagine that. You mean, if I take the bait, I'm not at peace? That is correct. If you're always trying to keep up with the Joneses, you don't have peace. You stay up at night architecting new plans on how to beat them. And I hopefully know that I'm talking about the Joneses. That's just a variable in, in my head. Whatever that thing is that you have in your life that you keep striving for, that's taking you away from the Word of God, that's taking you away from a prayer life, that's taking you away from Bible class or, or even uh, you know, Bible studies and stuff like that, all that, anything that's taking you away, that's what the Spirit's talking to you about. Whatever's got you in the chain gang, Work, people, friends, family even, habits. I don't know. But when you overcome, when you remain steadfast, the Word of God comes alive, right? His promises become real. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Again, we started off with class, right? Life's not easy. Okay? So we might think of this as life. For a little while, if necessary, and life is just a little while, what the heck is 70, 80, 90 years compared to eternity? I think that's classified as less than a little while. But nonetheless, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, the NASB has the proof of your faith, but the ESV has, so that the tested genuineness, in other words, the reality of your faith, it's real, it's not wordsmithing or, or lip service, right? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Up here on the board, the salvation of your souls. This is both a current and future reason for confidence. Being saved, we shall be saved. In other words, God didn't just save us at salvation. He saves us daily. He saves us experientially from that Jones's event. He says, I can keep you here. My grace is sufficient. Stop looking over there. Stop being seduced. You stay right here. You stay steadfast. I can do it for you by grace. Being saved, we shall be saved. Being saved daily, we shall be saved for all of eternity. Salvation today instills eternal confidence. This is a mindset you want to wake up with in the morning. This is the mindset. The salvation of your souls. The fact that God is powerful enough to save you right now and for all of eternity. Or vice versa. If he can do the greater, right? A fortiori in the Latin. If he can do the greater, he can do the lesser. If he can, if he can become a man, die on the cross to redeem you, then I think he can deliver you from the Joneses. I shouldn't say from the Joneses. From the temptation of competing with the Joneses, right? Because, look, at this is your problem. Don't look at Joneses. Well, they're such jerks, and they're just always, like, up in my grill, and, you know, they're always driving by with their new, you know, Porsche, you know, whatever, and they're, like, looking at me like, hey! You know, 
That's your problem. That's your problem. You're the one with the problem. What do you care? They might be the holiest person on the planet. So what if they drive a Porsche? You're the one with the problem. You're the one with the problem. Get that through your head, right? They're not the ones with the problem. It's your flesh that's bringing you down. So don't be pointing fingers and say, yeah, but you haven't met the Joneses. I got Joneses all around me too. What are you kidding? Right? And when I fail the test, I say, you're a jackass, Ed. Right? And God says, you're right. That's what you have to say to yourself. This is a mindset. A mindset. We want to wake up with it in the morning. Having this attitude about walking by faith is the blessing of being sanctified. Focus on the attitude being the blessing in and of itself. This attitude about walking by faith is the blessing of being sanctified. I hope you see the connection. This reminds me of a song by Jeremy Camp, Walk by Faith. Some of you know this song, right? Up here on the board. Would I believe you when you would say, Your hand will guide my every way. Will I receive the words you say every moment of every day? Well, I will walk by faith even when I cannot see. Well, because this broken road prepares your will for me. Beautiful. It's poet. It's poetry. Again, having this attitude about walking by faith is the blessing of being sanctified. Do you see that? In other words, the attitude is the blessing in of itself. It's not about what you get on the other side of being sanctified. It's about the attitude of actually being sanctified. You mean I have the, I have the, wait a minute, stop. I have the privilege of doing anything good for the holy God of the universe, the one who chose to save me. I get to do something to his glory. Yeah. Is that not a blessing in of itself? What do you care at that point? Whether or not he gives you the finances to beat the Joneses. What? 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 Wait, it's scratching record. What are you doing? Right? What are you doing? This is a conversation to have myself. What are you doing? Stop. Having this attitude, this attitude is the blessing in and of itself. That's a very different dynamic in your own soul than saying, well, if I do good by God, I'm going to get this thing. Putting God on a treadmill, you know, thinking we're the puppeteer. If I go to church faithfully, then God promises me to give this thing to me. That is not the end goal. It's your attitude. Do you understand? Because your attitude you carry with you every moment of every day. Does it really matter how God chooses to bless you out at that point? No, not when the blessing is upon you. Not when you've already got the greater blessing. It's not, it, you, 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 you care, but you don't care. It's like, Paul, I've learned to go with and without. I care, but I don't care. I think it's great. I'll give glory to God when, I, when he blesses me in a certain way. I'll say, wow, thank you. And that's the end of it. And it's like, oh, thank you. Oh, oh hey, Joneses. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? 
So if that's your motivation, doesn't the, doesn't, didn't the original attitude suck too? Did you have the right attitude? No. You see, so all along you had, uh, let's say, architected something evil. That is very different. It's called religion. It's the attitude. It's living in the now. You could technically live in a tent and be happier than you are right now. I met some people when I went over to India. Uh, I met some people that were way happier than most Christians I know, and they were in the slums. They were just grateful to serve the Lord, to know that they were saved. Then I come back here, and I got a so-called Christian moaning and groaning and bleeding all over everyone, how this is not blah, and not, you know, it's not fair, and oh, shut up. What are you complaining about? Honest to God, what? They, they overcooked your filet mignon? <laughs> Someone forgot your birthday? Your spouse forgot to give you roses on Valentine's Day, which is a joke? Some commercial joke? That's what you're, I almost said the B word. That's what you're complaining about? That's the bad word, right? That's what you're complaining about? This is what you have a problem with? You have a problem with people that are supposed to let you down, that you know are going to let you down? When you have the opportunity to focus on the one that will never let you down? I'm not, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to put emphasis on it. I'm not judging anybody. All of this, I hope, is encouraging. It's just to sort of wake us up, right? Say, wait a minute, stop. Yeah, he's right. He's right. I catch myself doing that stuff all the time. I miss the blessing, you know what I'm saying? I'm not present with God. I miss the blessing itself of actually just realizing, remember, that I'm saved daily, not just eternally, that I'm saved right now, that his grace is sufficient. It doesn't matter what I have, what I don't have, who I compete with, who I can't compete with. It doesn't matter. It's not a competition, contrary to American way of life. It's not a, everything's not a competition. What's, let me ask you this. I was thinking about this. What's worse than having a cruddy attitude about something? You can choose the topic. Like seriously, when, like for your own well-being, what's worse? than having just a cruddy attitude about something. Who suffers the most? The one making everyone else's life a living hell? Or the one currently residing there, experientially speaking? Who suffers the most? Those that are suffering the ripple effect of a person being a moron and miserable? Or the one that's actually miserable? Hmm. I'll, well, let me, let me, I'll, I'll share something with you. Tammy and I have had this discussion a hundred times if we've had it even once, maybe a thousand. Our strategy, living in close quarters for the past three decades, has matured by the grace of God into making our responses to the rearing of each other's flesh into an opportunity to express understanding. In other words, we have two choices in that moment, don't we? If I'm being a stain, 
right? A jerk, an ass. If that's me, I'm not, and this is totally hypothetical because that never happens, right? <laughs> right? Suppose I'm that guy, right? Tammy has two options. She can drop the hockey gloves and go at it, and her flesh goes, Row! and the angels are like, Pff. God's like, Ugh. when are they going to learn? Or she can show a little understanding and say, he's weak right now. He's in a moment of weakness right now. And I'm going to bring glory to God by understanding that very thing. It's a good strategy. This is, this is what real wisdom looks like. That's what it looks like. At the end of the day, it's easy to do this, isn't it? But what happens every time someone else's flesh rears up in your face? Maybe it's the Joneses. Oh, hi! The first thing you do is... That's it. I'm selling my Lexus. I'm getting a Porsche. It's going to be the next model. It's not going to be the GL. It's going to be the GLX. <laughs> That's stupid. Real wisdom. And you know what? It doesn't have to be with a spouse. It could be with a close friend or even a coworker, or a child. The strategy works because it is a godly one. Hold your thumb. Go to Galatians 6.1. Why does this strategy work? Why is it a blessing? Why can we bring glory to God in the middle of something evil, something terrible, something grotesque, like someone's flesh rearing up. How do we do that thing? How can we change something that could go really bad into an opportunity to do something good and bring glory to God? How does that work? The Bible tells us. Galatians 6.1 is one place where we can turn. <clears throat> Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, you who are remaining steadfast, you who are rightly related to God, you who are thinking clearly, you whose flesh isn't rearing up. Now's your opportunity. That's what Paul's writing. Now's your opportunity. Okay? The Joneses are being ridiculous. They just shot off fireworks so, they could, so we could see their new car. <laughs> you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Did I not just teach that for the last 15 minutes of class? It's exactly what the Spirit's been teaching. Lest you too be tempted. You get sucked into the fray. Bear one another's burdens. Why? Because they're actually being weak. It doesn't matter if they say, look at how God has blessed me out. You know, the Bible says something about not blowing your own trumpet. You want to get a new car, a new home, a new dress? That's between you and the Lord. Why do you get to announce it to people? Why do you get to try to make other people stumble with it? What's wrong with you? This isn't about competition. It's two-way street, right? But if that's happening, if someone's being ridiculous and weak, you're supposed to bear their burdens. You're supposed to say, oh, they're being weak right now. They're actually trying to tempt me. 
Galatians 6.1 says, I shouldn't be tempted. I should transcend this situation. And remember God's promises. And say, why does that even matter to me? Because they're being weak? Because they're, you know, pricking you? Do you know what I'm getting at? Oh, hey, look. Right? Right? And you're like, mm, get off of me. In that moment, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. Same example with, uh, with spouses, with marriage. That's your moment. Do you understand? That's your opportunity to bring glory to God. Verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. My desire for you is to have this attitude in yourselves. Why? Because when you have this attitude, you are blessed. That's my job, to equip the saints, right? I want you to be blessed. Why? Because when you are blessed, God is glorified. As I stated earlier, having this attitude about walking by faith is the blessing of being sanctified. It's not, it's not the results of being sanctified. It's about an attitude about it right now. All right, go back to 1 Peter 1.9. 1 Peter 1.9. I hope you see what the Spirit's saying. I'm doing the best I can for you as a teacher. It's not always easy. 1 Peter 1.9. I think a lot of this stuff um, requires extracurricular thinking. You going home with it and digesting it. And if you have to listen to the message again, but this cannot be solved in this room right now for you. My job is to just to tease it out of you, right? To give you Holy Scripture, give you some wisdom, give you some perspective so that, so that you're ready, that your soil is uh, tilled to where he can sow even greater fruit in you. That's my job. First Peter 1.9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, up here on the board again, the salvation of your souls. This is both a current and future reason for confidence. Being saved, we shall be saved. Being saved daily, we shall be saved for all of eternity. Salvation today instills eternal confidence. Salvation, experientially speaking, is basically the same thing as sanctification. How, well, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about God saving you daily? How do you feel about the fact that his grace, which is boundless, is available to you to deliver you from any circumstance today. How do you feel about that? How is your, what is your attitude about that very thing? Knowing that is the blessing. Does that make sense? That's what he's teaching you. Knowing that God is right there. As long as you're present with him, you're good. Just knowing that is the blessing. You don't care about tomorrow. You don't care about the perversions of having this or going here or having that. You don't care about those things. If they happen, cool. If they don't, cool. I don't care because right now I have him. That's the lesson. 
So I hope you see the attitude the Spirit's trying to encourage in all of you now. When you have this attitude, this mindset, you are blessed. And to tie into our primary course of study, you have confidence because your salvation, sanctification, and deliverance is based on Christ. Or as Paul would say, being in Christ. Just having the privilege of having this attitude. Knowing that God has promised to complete a good thing he started in you at salvation proper. Knowing that exists in your life. Is that not enough for us? Isn't it enough for us? Is the cross not enough for us? Was it not enough? Was it what have you done for me lately? You and Janet Jackson are going to stop bopping out, right? What, what is it? You going to get some shoulder pads? Nobody remembers that? Janet Jackson? No. no. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> do you know what's funny? Because this attitude that the Spirit's been teaching us this morning is the attitude that was in Christ. Read Philippians 2 when you go home. Read Philippians 2 when you go home. That's the attitude. I want to read an encouraging passage to help put a wrap on what the Spirit's saying here. It just so happens to be Philippians 3. Go to Philippians 3.1. I challenge you, read Philippians 2 on your own. You'll find the attitude. Have this attitude in yourselves. I think that's Philippians 2, 6, or 7. That was in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 1. <clears throat> you know, if you think about, I mean, Jesus Christ was the God-man, right? He came out of heaven, and he came down here, and he had people mocking him. Uh, look, at him. Isn't, that the, you know, isn't he just a carpenter from, uh, you know, nowhere? What was that like? How did he pass that test? Well, <laughs> he's God from heaven. And he's got morons. He's got the Joneses saying, look at him. He's just a carpenter from nowhere. What good comes out of that place? What? Yeah. Where were his eyes? the author and perfecter of our faith. Where was the joy? He had a certain joy to take it to the cross. Are you bearing your cross? Or are you worried about the Joneses? This is the attitude. Philippians 3.1, be encouraged. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Any questions? Put no confidence in the flesh. The Lord is our confidence. That is our message title. 61 parts so far. Put no confidence in the flesh. The Lord is our confidence. Verse 4, though I myself, now I love what Paul does. This is very hard to do, by the way. It's very hard to do when you're in his position. Right? Remember, he was being uh, attacked from without, from other religious teachers that were saying Paul was basically a nobody. 
he's just a braggart, he's, you know, this, he's that. They were trying to basically discredit him, right? And I love Paul because he says, you can say whatever you want, but here's the facts. He didn't back down and go, oh, shucks, you know, and, and dumb down the fact that he had everything to boast about by world standards. He said, oh, you want to go toe-to-toe with me? Okay, so here's what he says. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Remember the standing in uh, Jewish culture back then. When you were a Pharisee, you were top of the heap. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you see where his attitude was? He was in the presence. He was in the present. Do you understand? He was with him. For this sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Why? The Lord is our confidence. Nothing else matters. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's what the good fight looks like. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And think of the trials we contemplated at the start of this message, right? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Those of us who are mature, obviously the implication is a matter of sanctification, being progressively set apart. Today's message for people that are younger in the faith, it's not going to, it's not, it's going to have a different meaning to them than it does for someone who's been in the faith for years and years and years. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, in other words, to the degree that you're not this mature where this is your base of operations, right? You don't, you get up in the morning, this is your attitude, it's godly, it's healthy, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Up here on the board. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Paul has set up before the Philippians the idea of an upward call, a.k.a. a higher calling, to use some language from previous messages. Paul set up before the Philippians the idea of an upward call in Christ Jesus. He places the onus of meeting this call on their mindset, their attitude. You could say their heart as well. But their mindset, their attitude. And we can learn a lot from this as he finishes this verse also. Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Just focus for a moment on the word anything. If in anything you think otherwise. This pretty much covers all of life, does it not? Isn't that kind of how we started class this morning? Life happens, you know? It's not, um, it's bumpy, it's ugly sometimes, it's not perfect per se. There's potholes and pitfalls and distractions and there's a whole lot of anything in life. But the nice thing about it is if you're prayerful about it with God, he'll point it out. And say, I can deliver you from that. Come to me humbly about it, and I can deliver you from it. Let's work on this together. If in anything you think otherwise, if you're confused about it, if you don't get it, if you're, something's haunting you in your life, any part of life, God's there. God is prepared to reveal to each of us, in the context of our own lives, anything that takes us away from him experientially. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, there is no deliverance in the world. The world makes a ton of promises, does it not? If you win here, if you win this competition, you're good. You did, you did good. God says, that's garbage. That's what Paul just said. I won everything. I was a Pharisee. I was the top of the heap. And let me tell you, from that vantage point, you're here. I was way up here. So this thing you're looking to get to is garbage. End it now and come be humble before the Lord. Just gain Christ. Hmm. Anything. God is prepared to reveal to each of us in the context of our own lives anything that takes us away from Him experientially. In other words, we ought to think about this higher calling as something we do in a vacuum. Rather, the true blessing comes from the attitude of being all in. Does that make sense? That's the attitude that Christ had in Philippians 2. All in. I'm going to do this thing. For the joy set before me, I'm going to endure the cross. I'm going to take this, this, this thing with me. I'm going to take this attitude every step of the way. We don't do this in a vacuum. The true blessing comes from the attitude of being all in. And when this makes sense, my friends, we are to cling to it as if it's worth every last penny to our name and much, much more. When we realize that it's about this attitude that the Spirit's been teaching us this morning, we're, we're that person who found the pearl in the field. We sell everything for it. We say this, finally, finally, my purpose in life, it wasn't to be a CEO, it wasn't to have the best hair, it wasn't to be the most popular, it wasn't to have the, the fastest car, it wasn't any of that garbage. It was to live for Christ. Finally, I have my purpose. And finally, I can find my proper attitude. I can live this way. I can live in knowing this. You cling to that. Look at Philippians 3.16. That's what he says. Don't take my word for it. What does Paul encourage us to do? Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Some of you are like, I get it. The Spirit's heavy on you right now, and He's encouraging you. Cling to it. Hold it. Hold that thought for as long as you possibly can. Hold it. Whatever He's doing in you, hold it. That's the encouragement. 
because that's the realest thing you've got to your name. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That is not the Joneses in our little running example. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And I don't know about you, but my heart breaks daily over that. I look around and I say, my goodness, these people are so lost. They're so entranced. It's literally those, like that picture of the, the men, you know, oh, with the chains. They're just going, they're just doing this thing. And it's heartbreaking because there's no freedom. They're in, they're in total bondage. Look at verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see the mindset? That's the opposing mindset, the opposing attitude. It's set on earthly things. Read Colossians 3 when you go home. We set our eyes on things above. Every good thing comes from heaven. That's in James. Our attitude is a higher calling. But this, their minds are set on earthly things, and their end is destruction. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Again, here's the instigating principle this morning. Go back to James 1.12, and I've got to pick a spot we're getting close. I want to finish our thoughts at least. James 1.12. This was at the very beginning of the message. <clears throat> James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial and Remember the types of trials. Remember the definitions for strength and weakness. Remember what the Spirit said to you earlier in the privacy of your own soul, where you might be passing or failing these kinds of trials. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. But when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Up here on the board, this is the principle. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. One of the greatest tests is remaining humble, keeping the flesh from dominating us when in direct contact with fleshly people who entice us into Satan's economy, where creature credit is the currency. That is one of our greatest tests. And it's not the one that most people think about. It's not, I would even argue, is this fair to say? I would even argue that it's not the one that brings people to church in the first place. A lot of people come to church because they're sensing a weakness in themselves and they say, I need help. But the reality is when once you start learning the truth, it's not the weaknesses so much as it is your strengths that are holding you back. People don't come to church looking for deliverance, right? People, people aren't in pain by worldly definitions when they're dominating the Joneses. Do you follow what I'm saying? 
I have siblings, I have a sibling I'm thinking about right now that has no need for Christ because they're in a dominant position by world standards. And, and really, and DJ invited the person to uh, Michael's thing, right? Maybe it's you know, maybe it's because I'm the brother. Maybe it's me. I'm the stumbling block, which makes total sense. Maybe they'll come talk. To, you know, they'll come see somebody else. Nope, I don't have a need for it. I don't have a need for that thing because you see, I'm I have strength. I'm in a position of strength. What do I need Jesus for? Isn't he for weak people? You see what happens? Isn't that the craziest thing? I would even argue, God will use anything, which is fine. He will use that thing. But I would argue most people come, most people come to church because they're, they're weak and they're beaten down in areas of what they call weakness, what they don't realize, what, what is opened up to them after the fact. Once they start maturing, as they realize, it's their strengths that have been holding them back. Because the stronger they are by world standards, the less need they perceive for a Savior. What do you need a Savior for if you can save yourself? from the woes of this world. Does that make sense? And what did Paul say? We just read it. Oh, listen, I was the top dog. I was where you want to go, where you think you want to be. And it was garbage. Scubalon. Dung. Turd. Poop. <laughs> Trying to loosen you up because everybody's like, you need to loosen up a little bit, right? Stay still. All right. Before we close, big picture stuff. We have been given wonderful encouragement this morning. Now, what about application? Before we leave, because this has to be applied to our lives, right? This has to be something we adopt. We can't just take it and say, wow, what a, what a cool lesson. What a nice lesson. What an eye-opening experience. And you go out in your car, and that's the end of it. And the first time the Jones drive by, you're like, <laughs> right? <laughs> You fail, right? <laughs> How do we apply it to our lives? Simply, we obey Jesus' command. You ready? This is, oh, I feel like choking up right now. I'm almost crying right now. I'm not going to. We obey Jesus' command to love one another, even our enemies. So the Joneses drive by, and your flesh is like, and Jesus says, I want you to love them. I want you to realize that they're really weak. They get all the power by world standards, but they're weak. I need you to pray for them, not compete with them. When you compete, you are um, validating. You're sending the message that they're on the right track, that it's a worthy cause for a Christian to compete at that level. You're endorsing the lifestyle if you compete with them. I don't want you to do that. I want you to love them the way I love them, the way I inspired Holy Scripture to say, the top of the heap is just a gig. It's a, it's a, it's a, a ruse, right? It's, it's garbage. Get all these people. It's a big carrot. Everybody's, right? Maybe you, don't, maybe you can't do that. We think of them apples because you could have choppers for that. They're all, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to endorse that lifestyle. I want you to oppose it vehemently in your heart. And I want you to reach out with love. I want you to love one another. That's how you apply all this to your life. 
Stated differently, we so love in this world, S-O-W, we so love in this world, and we reap the blessing, and God is glorified. Go to 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and I will close. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. God is glorified when we love. That is beautiful. Second Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You have this one life to live. Do you understand? It matters how you sow with it. Your time, your energy, etc., the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, right? Remember what we read, uh, I forget the passage, you know, the one who waters is himself watered. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver up here on the board. This is such a beautiful thing. You want to know how this is done? This is it. Give yourself to the Lord. Surrender. Love. I'm not waxing poetic. This is literally how it's done. When you recognize and you, and you live in that salvation that we talked about, what, else, what other emotion do you have towards God but love? You love him for saving you. Not just forever, but daily. 1 John 4.19 We love because he first loved us. Do you get it? That's the dynamic. God loves a cheerful giver. What are you going to do with your life? I saved you from hell. Read the blog. I saved you from hell. What are you going to do with that life? You're mine. I redeemed you. I purchased you with my own blood. What are you going to do with your life? You're going to compete with the Joneses? Or are you going to stay steadfast? I want you to give your life back to me. I'm going to give you the choice, but I want you to sow in such a way that you reap in ways you cannot even imagine. And when that happens, my grace is on full display, and I'm glorified. That's my economy. It's beautiful. This special love of God for cheerful givers describes blessings targeted for those with a good attitude about living for others, those whose eyes are so much on Christ that they can't be on self. That's how you do it. That's what the attitude looks like. The curse is when we focus on self, the blessing is when we focus on others. One last point. Just reflect with me, please. Simply saying we give this way of ourselves isn't enough. God is after our hearts. And it's not a greedy, grabby thing. God is after our hearts because when we are sanctified this way, He is glorified. Stated differently, when He is able to grace you out with blessings beyond your imagination... As a result of having this attitude in us that was in Christ Jesus, a.k.a. living for others, loving others, and fulfilling the law, when we have this attitude, His grace is on full display for even the angels to see and to rejoice over. And I'll just summarize this way. God is glorified by blessing you out. God is glorified by blessing you out. This morning's message was a grace gift. 
For the humble, it's a tremendous blessing. And God is glorified when he blesses us out. That is what grace looks like. It's by grace that he saves you daily. We cannot boast about it lest we lose the blessing of a good attitude about it. We cannot boast about it lest we lose the blessing of a good attitude about it. We must surrender completely in order to be blessed and to bring glory to God in the highest possible way. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this morning as family, part of your family, your flock, Father. What an incredible privilege it is. What a blessing it's been to understand and to realize and to even experience your grace, your mercy, and your love. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls and our homes and then out to a lost and dying world, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.